Yes, Lord, you deserve the glory, and we just acknowledge that you are here, that you are present, that you're not the God who is far away, but you're the God who is here. And Lord, I do pray that that incredible miracle that happens when your people gather, that you would reveal yourself. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of you. Pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of your calling, the glorious riches of your inheritance and the saints, and the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. And Lord, I do pray for all of those today that are listening that do not yet believe. We pray, oh God, would you show your loving kindness and would you lead us all to repentance and to turning to you, Lord, I pray. May anyone in the sound of my voice that is not yet saved be saved today, be healed today, be restored today to your original intention for all of our lives. I just want to say this, if you're listening right now, whether it's online or here, and you don't know Jesus, you feel far away from God, and you've kind of shown up, or you've tuned in to try to find God, can I tell you that His arms are extended to you today, and throughout the rest of our time, just let Him draw you to Himself, because He only has one goal, and that's to forgive you, to take the burden off of you, and bring you into that perfect union with him, the thing that he created you for. So Lord, we're grateful again today that you're wooing and drawing us. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Well, Jesus is wonderful. It's just so rich to be with him and to have the opportunity to have an open door to grace. It's what we all long for. It's what we're all made for. It's what will never be complete or feel satisfied until we find the fullness of grace. That'll happen for those who believe when we die. We'll see him face to face. We'll see grace in its fullness. But remember, God wants us to see it in this life. He wants to offer grace in this life, and we're not just doing the best we can and waiting for then, but God says, on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven has come to earth in the person of Jesus, and that is wide open. So may today be one of those days where grace becomes real again, tangible to you. Um, for some of those uh, folks who were here last week, you might know it was a uh, uh, quite a, a, a day and quite a week for uh, our family. Um, in between the services, we got notice that our son-in-law's uh, mother uh, had tragically died and passed away uh, in a very sudden way. And um, so in the middle of the service, I uh, handed the ball off to Carl. He took the second service, and I flew to uh, their hometown, to their city, and was with the family this week, and um, thank you for your prayers and love, those who were aware of that. 
Um, you know, God is always able to take the most devastating situations and turn them to good if we turn to Him. And um, and so it's been a been a, a one of those wonderful, terrible weeks, painful for family and friends, but also beautiful in the sense of seeing the grace of God. So thank you for your love and your prayers. And uh, a couple of other things that are so interesting in the orchestration of God. Um, we um, <clears throat> the Sunday morning we had uh, some friends that were with us and. Um, one of our friends had been praying that morning, and they had this word from the Lord, and they literally wrote it down, put the time on it, and in the word that they felt from the Lord, it was, someone has died, but God is going to visit people in the service, especially those who are struggling with suicidal thoughts, and he's going to save them. That in the midst of death, God's going to do something powerful. And last week, there were several stories as we called out that word of people struggling with suicidal thoughts, of people that said, I was crying out to God. I, I was wondering, does God see me? Does God know me? And um, uh, a handful of people made decisions to follow Jesus and found peace from these crazy demonic suicidal thoughts. And it was so beautiful to see the grace of God showing up in our midst, another word that someone had in prayer beforehand was that to pray for people with scoliosis and back problems, but not just for the physical healing, but as a way of aligning their hearts and their lives again with God and His purpose and plan. And there were so many beautiful testimonies of God kind of making crooked things straight. And, um, you know, I just, I say that to encourage you that God is always at work if we just open our eyes and open our ears, whether it's in the middle of our grief or pain or whether it's in the middle of the joy of our lives uh, or even the mundane of our lives, God is always at work if our ears and our hearts uh, are attentive to Him. Um, also, last week, if you guys were here, we had the joy of hearing from Trip 9, and you're going to be hearing more about this in our outreach to the nations and our outreach to uh, even to Waco, how God is using this uh, digital space to engage people and then have them meet people face-to-face. -face. So last weekend, if you were here, uh, Trip shared, he introduced this uh, one campaign that they were doing in Myanmar. And, uh, you know, in the middle of everything that happened Sunday morning in our own lives and those words from the Lord about people with suicidal thoughts, there was a campaign going on in Myanmar, and the lead little piece was, do you feel hopeless? Are you, are you, uh, do you feel hopeless, suicidal thoughts? Do you need hope? And if people clicked into that little prompt, then they would have an introduction of a message from Jesus. <laughs> you know, the Word of God, here's Jesus, He offers hope, He offers help. And then if they responded to that, then they would, if they chose to, they could give their name and ask for a pastor to come visit them, and then they would be sent a digital Bible. Well, they've been doing campaigns in Myanmar over the last several months, and a big day would have been 30 responses out of sending out maybe 10,000, up to 100,000 different messages on Facebook. They get clicks, and they would get maybe 30 responses. Well, on a Sunday morning, 
um, alone um, there. We prayed during the service, God, would you use this little prompt digitally? God, would you move in the country of Myanmar? And during the first service, there were 72 responses just in the hour that we prayed. And by the end of the second service, we prayed, as we prayed throughout the time, there were 273 responses from people that, yeah, isn't that amazing? Not just, there were thousands of clicks into the prompt on depression and suicide, but there were 273 people said, I prayed to receive Christ. Here is my name, my telephone. These are predominantly Buddhist. That's, their lives are in danger when they do that. They said, here's my name, here's my number, and they now have a Bible, and a person is visiting them this week that we have on the ground. And that just shows you the power of the body working together. Our friend's gift to use his digital world to prompt people and move people, the prophetic words of the Lord that God doesn't uh, want people to live under the oppression of suicidal thoughts, the uh, prayers of the saints going on in here, and then our people on the ground, local pastors and uh, following up, and, and then the people who created the digital Bibles, and just all the beauty of God. We're all part of something bigger than we can even imagine. And just remember that it is always the the enemy is always trying to accuse and to isolate and to keep you feeling disconnected from what God is doing, keeping you disconnected from the people of God. But that is not the will of God. And we are on a journey to reconnect with him or connect for the first time, to reconnect with one another and reconnect with his mission and purpose. And we've had this big deal, So, uh, just of uh, this um, thing that God has spoken to us, a five-year word. I want you to look at it again. We're going to kind of look at the big picture, a lot of writing on there, a lot of stuff. Uh, but the biggest thing that I want you to know is, when in our desperation in 2020, we cried out to God as a leadership team, not just in Waco, but in the Antioch churches in the U.S. and our Antioch churches around the world, God, we need you. We need you. Nobody has the answers. We don't need as anyone else but you alone, oh God. And God in his mercy gave us this five-year journey. Can we, can we make it a little bigger again, uh, Boulder? And this five-year journey, and again, these fancy words just simply mean the first year was surrender, <laughs> which we're always, excuse me, always there, opening our hands and opening our lives. The second year was, uh, Lord, admonishing us to prayer. That was last year, but we are building off of that. Man, if you haven't jumped in yet, these are invitations personally. They're invitations as a family. They're invitations as a life group. They're invitations for us as a church. And this year, God is speaking to us about leaning into unity, the unity of the Spirit, and that's where we want to land today. You see three scriptures, John 17, the prayer of Jesus, Acts 2, the people of Jesus unified, Ephesians 4, the plan of the, the church unified for the glory of God. And we're going to be going literally for months unpacking all these scriptures under this uh, phraseology. We used it during our prayer series. We're bringing it forward again. We want to be a people who are in union with God, communion with the saints, and partnership with their mission. Can we put that up on the screen? Union with God, communion with the saints. <laughs> We're getting there. 
and partnership with his mission. Think that if we can just do the one big slide together. There we go. Union, communion, and partnership. Everybody say that with me. Union, communion, and partnership. Let's say it again. Union, communion, and partnership. So in its simplest form, union with God. We are made one by his grace. The blood of Jesus has been shed. We have entrance to the throne room. He lives inside of us. We are judicially one with us, but we have not yet conformed fully to that union. And so we are being called by God to say, God, everything that is in disunity with you, would you remove it from me so that I may be unified with you and one with you? Not just theologically, but practically and experientially. So we're going to be on a journey of being unified with him. And then the communion of the saints, that is that simple idea that by the blood of Jesus, we are made brothers and sisters. Whether you wanted this family or not, you're in it. (laughs) Not by your choosing, but by his. So you can fight the family or you can lean into the family. Right, I've told this so many times, but in our household, the, one of the number one rules are we are not doing rev- uh, uh, sibling rivalry. We're just not doing it. And of course they did it, but we, did, we dealt with it when they did it. And we just said, we are leaning into one another because we are of one another. We came from one another and we have one another to work with. So we are not going to pull against the fiber of this family. We're gonna lean in and contend for this family, right? That's the communion of the saints, and not just Antioch, Waco, but that's our our brothers and sisters in our city, the brothers and sisters in the United States, our brothers and sisters around the world. We are as much one with the believer in the underground church in North Korea as you are with your neighbor who knows Jesus. We are made one by the blood of Jesus. Let's start acting like it, and when we do, we'll see the power of God poured out like we've never experienced before. We'll quit pulling against each other, but pulling for each other. And then this last piece, partnership with his mission. And all that that simply means is God has a purpose and a plan for you. It's to love him. It's to be unified with his people, to be a part of his family. And then it's to have a purpose and a plan to express his glory. That means whatever you do, you do for the glory of God, whether you work in a business or whether you're an educator, or whether you're a healthcare worker, or whether you do that in Waco, Texas, or whether you do that in uh, Myanmar that we prayed for last week, you have a purpose and a plan created by God and for God. And I know that some of us, when we hear that, we say, well, I've heard all this before. My question is, you haven't heard it unless you're doing it. I renew my mind every day around everything I just said to you. I have known the Lord for 41 years. I renew my mind every day around my union with Jesus, my communion and prayers for the family of God and the saints, my mission and purpose to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I find as a human being, I drift daily, sometimes by the minute. So union, communion, and partnership help me to grid and to stay in and under the shelter of his wing to abide and to live in him. The beauty of what God is doing uh, is uh, around a promise 
of scripture that has just become so dear to me. Uh, Jeremiah 31, three and four, I wanna say this to our Antioch family and friends. This is such a beautiful promise in, uh, to go along with this five-year word. And it's this, it says this, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with cords of loving kindness. Isn't that beautiful? Again, I will build you and you will be rebuilt, says the Lord. O virgin of Israel, again, you will take up your tambourines. You will go forth with dancing and with the merrymakers, or dancing and rejoicing. So here's what I want you to know. Wherever you have been up to this point in life, wherever we have been as a community, wherever the body of Christ is, God is drawing us with cords of loving kindness. Let him draw you. Let him pull you in. There is a pulling of the Holy Spirit right now. He's gathering the flock. He's regathering the flock to build us up and to rebuild whatever was broken down, to bring joy back into the house of God so that we can then be a display for his glory in all the earth. This is as real to me as looking at your beautiful faces today. It's so real in my mind, and I'm just praying, may it be real in your mind. May you believe again that you're being drawn into something that you were made for from the foundation of the earth, and there is an open window of time going on right now, but do not miss Jesus. This is not a time to go back to business as usual or whatever unusual, <laughs> whatever we were doing. It is a time to lean in, not with a heavy yoke, but with great joy because we are being drawn by the living God. Don't miss Jesus in this hour. All right, all that to say, if you got a Bible, open up to John 17. We're jumping into the unity message. John 17, this is the prayer of Jesus. We often talk about, and I uh, as well preach, on the Lord's Prayer. But remember, the Lord gave the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That prayer, he gave that, that's actually our prayer. <laughs> he gave it to us how to pray. He didn't need it how to pray, right? When he says, forgive, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us, Jesus couldn't pray that prayer because he never sinned. So it's our prayer <laughs> that he offered to us. But John 17 is his prayer to the Father. And let me just say a couple things about the prayers of Jesus. They always get answered. Because he's Jesus, by the way. These are not prayers in vain. These are not hope-filled prayers. These are guaranteed prayers. Because he not only in this representation, as we read through the scriptures, we see him as fully God and fully man. He represents fully man so that we can know how to relate to God. But remember and never forget, he is also fully God. So he has insider information to everything he's doing and everything he's praying. And this prayer um, in John 17, 
was right after, this is kind of the last big prayer before the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes in and he has that last moment of crying out to God before the cross. He has already done the Lord's Supper. He has already kind of brought some closure with his group. Some people say he prayed this prayer uh, while they were in the upper room right before they left for the, to get, go to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. Or, and some people say uh, it was on the road that he just paused with his disciples and lifted up his face to heaven. However it happened, it was public because John was able to record it as a part of what we needed to know about God himself. So when we look at big kind of prayers like this, don't get lost in the mental gymnastics. Capture the heart of God himself. And what does he care about? And what is it that he wants us to know? And how is it that he wants us to pray? I love this. John 17. Let's start in verse 1. Get my little iPad out. Jesus spoke these things. This is his prayer. Lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. He, his, man. Can I just say a little aside here? I never write the name God, Jesus, his father with a little uh, with a, what do you call it, little letter, lowercase, thank you. Uh, my mom was an English teacher, actually. It, it didn't, <laughs> didn't help me much, but uh, so without a lowercase, I, I often, you know, when you're typing real fast, it's lowercase sometimes, and I always go back, I delete it and put the uppercase. And why is that? Because he's worthy. He's worthy to pause and to acknowledge. We don't just run by his name. That the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you gave him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Wow. That's just the first five verses, you guys. And here's what I want to say. If you look at John 17, just in a quick breakdown, and we're going to be marching through it over the next few weeks, the, the first five verses are Jesus' prayer, uh, prayers to God about himself. God, uh, Father, this is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. This is what you have made me for. Now glorify yourself. The second part of John 17 is he prays for us, or he prays for the disciples. He prays for them specifically, and he, he undergirds uh, what they have needed and what he has imparted in their life, and he's praying for them. And then the last part of John 17 is he prays for all believers worldwide that the glory of God uh, might be made known. But today we're just going to unpack 
these first five verses. So one of the first things that sticks out in the first five verses is the word glory or glorify. It's used five times in five verses, which means it's important. <laughs> okay, there's so many definitions of glory. Actually, I looked at many theologians, many commentaries, and there is some consistency, but remember, glory is like a multifaceted diamond. The glory of God is seen in different ways and expressed in so many different ways. But the centrality of glory, as we've captured a few words here, I think we uh, have it uh, on the screen. The centrality of glory is God's splendor, God's brilliance, God's majesty, God's authority, and the manifestation of God's perfection. Woo! That when we see the glory of God, we see God's splendor, his manifested perfection. We see the, um, the, 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 the spaces and the places where uh, his original intention is seen on planet earth. Let me just get it very down to a human level. When a marriage is clicking, you see God's glory right? Uh, when, when somebody's honoring God with their finances, the joy fills the room and the heart and you see God's glory because it's as it should be, as God intended it. When somebody forgives lavishly beyond what is normal, we all cry in the movie because we see God's glory. When the one that was discarded and worth nothing, somebody pursues with an unusual love, we all are moved because that is God's glory. God's perfection is, is when it's seen on earth, is, is when life is as it should be, as God intended it for it to be. So when Jesus is saying, Father, glorify yourself and glorify me. He said, let your beauty and your perfection be made known and made manifest in this hour. Isn't that awesome? The word Father, Jesus addressing the Father is used eight times in John 17. It's important because Jesus, again, he's the perfect man. But the perfect man addresses the perfect Father because he knows that that is our greatest need. To know God is Father is to stabilize the heart. To have a perfect Father, to have a perfect overseer, a perfect leader, a perfect provider, a perfect um, caregiver who, uh, who has all power and authority, this is what we need. Throughout the Gospels, the word Father God, Jesus addresses the Father 150 times. 150 times he calls God Father. 30 times he, the, the disciples address, or he admonishes us to address God as Father. Why, again, is that so important? Because, again, my friends, we live in unstable times, and I cannot guarantee you that they're going to get more stable externally. But the Father brings solidity and confidence to the heart of the children, and therefore Jesus admonishes us, call him Father. Call him Father. So here we go. Let's break down the verses. Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. Lifting up his eyes to heaven. That first little part, lifting up our eyes to heaven, 
he's lifting up his eyes, and you know, many commentators would say, well, that's, that was kind of uh, the normal way that Jews prayed. They would lift up their heads or lift up their hands like this. But I would also say when he was lifting up his eyes to heaven, because Jesus was acknowledging, Father, I know what it's like to be with you, and I'm returning to you, but I want them to know you, so let heaven come on earth. I want them to see that there is an open heaven between me and you, so I lift up my eyes. Have you ever been with somebody that really knows God, and they pray, and they get on their knees, and they lift up their heads to heaven, and you just realize it's open? (laughs) It's open. Heaven is open. It's not closed. The blood of Jesus has opened heaven. And Jesus models this and he looks up and he says, Father, (laughs) Father in heaven, I acknowledge you, I honor you. May they see you as I see you right now. And he said, the hour has come. Now glorify your son. That word, the hour has come, is much like when a woman is pregnant and begins to go into labor, and the hour has come. For most women, that's hours have come. Not just the hour has come, but this is the moment of birth. This is the moment of death. This is the moment of an hour that nobody's going to stop. Once this hour has started, Jesus is saying, here we go. This hour has come. And there were different times in the ministry and life of Jesus. You remember, he said, my hour has not yet come. You guys aren't going to be able to take me out. You're not gonna be able to to do this, that, or the other that you would like to do or you want me to do because my hour has not yet come. That should comfort us that our, our times are in the hands of God. For those who walk with God, by the way. If you don't walk with God, you're outside of the hand of God. I can't guarantee what the consequences of that kind of a life is, but it's not good. But for those who are submitted to God and live under the shadow of God, you are carried by the hand of God, and you're, 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 uh, God determines your hours. He determines your times and your days. So you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the future. Our times are in his hands when you're under and in his hand. My, my hour, the, the, the hour uh, has come. I remember when uh, Laura, uh, uh, we were um, um, pregnant with Abby and uh, Laura had been out swimming with a friend actually who was pregnant at the same time. And I get this phone call and she says, uh, uh, something unusual is happening uh, I think, I, I don't know, but it seems like maybe my water's breaking and all that, which is the, for those who don't know much about that, it's before the baby's about to be born. And, um, and she said, uh, what should I do? And I said, well, why don't we go to the doctor and just at least have him check you? Maybe it's not, it's three and a half weeks early, you know, being Mr. Experienced at uh, 20, whatever, five, four years old, first child. Uh, we got this. And um, so we go into the doctor and uh, um, he checks her, and when he checks her, the water bursts on the table. And uh, he looks at me, and he said, well, young man, you're going to have this baby in the next 24 hours. 
And I'm trying to keep it cool because Laura's like, what? You know, the hour has come. We weren't planning on it. It was three and a half weeks early. I was still had all the crib parts uh, uh, undone in the kitchen. Uh, what are we going to do? But I'm trying to say, we got this, baby. And uh, we walk over. Actually, the, the uh, doctor's office was across the street from the, from the uh, delivery room. We walk. He said, y'all need to go over there, check in. We walk over there. And all of a sudden, and, and then they tell me to go, if I wanted to be a part of it, I need to get in the, the little gown and all that stuff. And I go in the bathroom and I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, no, no, the hour's come. I'm not ready, Lord, I'm not ready. No, 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 no. You know, so um, I don't know what you believe about praying in tongues, but that is what I did out of desperation, not knowing what words to express in my fear and shock. And... Um, so I got it together with Jesus. <laughs> then I walked down and said, all right, honey, we got this. Here, now breathe. Let's go, you know. Uh, <laughs> and within a few hours, our little precious Abby was born. Um, but the hour had come, and I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel ready. But I was able to get ready by crying out to God. I don't know what life holds for you right now. I don't know what's coming. Um, but I do know that we can be ready. Not out of perfection, not out of all getting everything perfect, but by crying out to God, even when we're not ready, we get into his space and we become ready. You with me? We're not trying to make up for the past. We just live in the present. We cry out to God. We lay everything aside and we say, now, Lord, I'm with you. And you know what? He'll be enough. Jesus said, my hour has come. And, of course, the disciples, once again, until he didn't get it, hey, great prayer, Jesus. That's great, you know. Um, my hour has come. And then he says this, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That the Son may glorify you. That the Son may glorify you. You see, in the person of Jesus, that's where the splendor and manifestation of God's perfection is seen and known. So many people talk to me through the years. I don't, I don't understand God. I'm not sure who he is. I'm not sure if he's around. I'm not sure if he's real. And I beg them, read the gospels and look at Jesus. <laughs> After you have decided by looking at Jesus and written down all of his attributes and characteristics that you see in his life, come back with your list and tell me what you don't understand about God. We want to sit around in our emotional temper tantrums and say, God's not real, God's not here, and God doesn't help. When we have Jesus to look at, if you'll just take half the time that you spend in emotional tie-ups and literally read the Bible and write down what Jesus said, did, and is, you'll get out of that space. Because God has so predetermined that when we look at Jesus, we see him and we're transformed by him. This is our way to stable ground. Hebrews reaffirms this. God, after he, God. <laughs> God of all the earth. 
God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Come on, everybody. What's his name? What's his name? God has spoken to us in Jesus that we might see the manifest perfection of God. The desire of God, the design of God, the delight of God, the compassion of God, the help of God, the hope of God in the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. God has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir over all things through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his, there it is, his perfection. Woo! I'm getting built up preaching this message today. I'm getting so stirred to know him more because the glory of God is made manifest in the person of Jesus. For he is the exact representation, exact manifestation of the Father, of the Spirit, of God. He is the, 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 the beautification of the Trinity. <laughs> He's the personification of God himself. He's the exact representation of God's nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Woo! Let's keep going. This is eternal life. (laughs) This gets so good. I'm about to fall over here on the stage. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you. I have come and manifested your name. I am going to the cross to sacrifice for your glory, that they may know you and the Son of God who has sacrificed his life for them, that they may know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We're we're perfect for him. We're made by him and for him. John 14, very familiar passage, but hopefully you're reading it with fresh eyes in light of his glory. Do not let your heart be troubled. Pause. This is Jesus speaking. This isn't Jimmy, different J, lowercase. (laughs) This is Jesus. Don't let your heart be troubled. Does he understand trouble? Does he know everything going on in your life? Does he know every thought of your heart and the intention of it, good, bad, or wonderful? Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. I, I would listen to him. I, I just, I think he has something to say. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, in my Father's house. There it is again. Are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Woo! 
wherever you are in your journey, no matter what your journey's been to this point, your trust in Jesus alone is the sacrifice for sin allows you an entrance into eternity forever and ever. Death has no power over you. When you behold Jesus as the centrality of your life, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, we, Thomas and all of us Thomases out there, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? <laughs> Jesus said, I, I can't even say those words without just saying, Lord, help me see you for who you are. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. <laughs> People fight and wrestle and philosophize and waste people's time arguing who Jesus is or isn't, who God is or isn't. Some of us have taken that bait for years and we still are wandering in the wilderness trying to figure out who is God. I don't know, so-and-so says this, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhists, my best friend, somebody who's really smart. They, 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 and I just wanna say they're not that smart, by the way, if they haven't decided Jesus is Lord. They're foolish, the Bible says. So whatever twist and turn life has taken for you as a human, I understand it. God understands it. We can have compassion and empathy towards one another, all jokes aside. But in reality, we are wrong if we have chosen another way other than Jesus Christ as the sole sacrifice for sin, as the only way to the Father and the only God who ultimately rules and reigns and will have the last word in this life and in the life to come. It is exclusively Jesus. And that is not arrogance because Jesus himself declared it. The Father acknowledged it and, and, uh, and glorified Jesus. The Spirit bears testimony to him. And you cannot be arrogant if you are right. <laughs> A human can be arrogant. But God cannot lie about himself. He, First uh, Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, he made us alive in the spirit. I love what several theologians declare. Jesus is exclusive and inclusive beyond anyone that's ever lived died and rose again. <laughs> he is exclusive. There is a narrow way that leads to life, Jesus alone. And then he is inclusive because he offers himself to the whole world. Remember when the angels appeared in Luke 2.10, the angels said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the peoples. 
Peter exclaims, I wish that none should perish, but all come to the knowledge of God. Jesus himself used the parable of a banquet table that was open to many of his friends and acquaintances. Many of them said, I have other things to do. I, don't, I, I can't make it to this banquet that the king is hosting. He said, go to the highways and byways and bring them all in because my table must be full. Don't get hung up on different theological nuances that keep people from the grace of God and the opportunity of salvation for all people. Jesus offers himself to everyone, everywhere. He is exclusive in his righteousness. He is inclusive in his heart. Everyone is welcome to the table. All right, got one last scripture here. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Wow. When we see the life of Jesus, I I, I love what John says. If there's, I've told you, basically a paraphrase, John says, I've told you a lot of stuff, but if I actually told you everything, all the books in the world couldn't contain all that he said and did, right? I'm just giving you some glimpses of glory through these pages of scripture, but it's enough for you to see him, to know him, and then want to emulate his life. When I was in uh, college, we were having a, a I would call just a revival, a move of God, uh, me and a group of friends. And, um, and when we would come into our apartment, there was, we, would, we were learning how to pray. And so we would just, our, our little rule for several months was we would just get on our knees. We'd walk in the apartment, hey, what's going on, man? We'd go get on our knees on the couch. That was just the right response for that hour of our lives. And I remember with a buddy, we were on our knees. And again, I didn't have a church background up to that point. He had grown up very conservative Baptist. We're on our knees and we're, we're praying, God, we want to know you. And our prayer was, God, who's right? Are the charismatics right? Are the conservative Bible church people right? Who's right? Lord, we don't know. People are telling us all kinds of stuff. We're praying out of our hearts, wanting to be right with God. And in that time, we see, I said, I'm seeing this picture in my mind. And my buddy says, so am I. And we said, what is the picture? What do you see? And I said, I see Jesus walking down a road and there's ditches on the right side and the left side. And, and, and he said, I see exactly the same thing. Jesus, what are you saying to us? And without words, it seemed that he was smiling to us for us to follow him. And it seemed to us that the Holy Spirit was saying in this incredible vision that we had, is, through the years, people followed on the left side of the ditch and the right side of the ditch, trying to be right in and of themselves. But for you guys, you follow me. So all theology is wrapped up in a person. If Jesus did it, we need to do it. (laughs) If Jesus said it, we can say it. Literally the rest of the Bible, the New Testament, is just an outworking of the experiences and the reality that they had of Jesus himself. If it looks like Jesus, if it smells like Jesus, if it declares the glory of God, if it produces grace and mercy and help for people in their time of need, that's good theology. But remember, theology is personified in a person. 
And when we bring him glory with our lives, when we honor and acknowledge him with the fullness of our lives, then he is made manifest in our lives. So that's the beginning of our series. (laughs) Union with God. Communion with the saints. Partnership with his mission begins in John 17, praying with Jesus, glorify yourself, O God. Glorify yourself in our hearts. Come on, everybody, just stand up. Just start praying that with me right now. Lord, glorify yourself in my mind, in my heart, in my family, in my work, in my business. Lord, let your glory be made manifest. Let your perfection Let your splendor, let your brilliance, let your joy, let your hope, let your help be made manifest in my life, in our lives, oh God. Be glorified. Come on, man, it's just in my heart. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Just say, God, be glorified, be made manifest, be seen, be known, be felt, be tasted, be touched. Renew my mind, God. Renew my heart. Renew my body. Anything that's not in alignment with you, God, would you remove it right now so that your glory can be seen, so that your glory can be made manifest. Now, while we're just praying, uh, our prayer teams come to the front. If you need prayer for anything, back to that suicidal thoughts. If you have back scoliosis problems, things that are out of joint, God wants to make crooked things straight. Those are physical manifestations of glory. God removing darkness from our minds and our hearts. God coming with healing. God bringing salvation. I started off by saying for those listening, if you don't know Jesus, literally cry out to him, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. And he will come with the intent of your heart to trust in him alone as your savior. But whatever your need is, my my friends, I'm just begging, pleading in this hour, man, let's not miss Jesus. If you need help today, We're here to help. We want to pray for you and love you. The the guys are going to lead us in worship to seal the work of grace here this morning. But you come on. Come on down here. Don't let anybody stop you. If you need prayer, don't live in your torment independently. Come to Jesus. Come to God's people. Humble yourself. Let us pray for you. There's some couples in this room that need to come down together and say, we can't get out of this. We need help. Can I have some more of our prayer teams available? You need to be willing to humble yourself. Men, lead out. If your marriage is, is in a broken place right now and you're a little desperate and you guys fought on the way here and you need prayer, grab your spouse's hand and say, let's go down and get prayer. Let's worship Jesus together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence here as we magnify your name. Thank you that you are here.